side. Well, I'll tell you what, man, that was worth the price of admission right there. Amen? If a, I, I told Joe McCaig, if a brother can't preach after that. <laughs> okay, so I don't know what's getting ready to happen, but... Uh, but I'm thrilled you're here. How many, uh, this is Friday night, and uh, anybody here for the first time tonight? Would you raise your hand? All right, let's welcome these folks. And, uh, you know, just to dial you you folks in, I'm not going to take a long time to do this, but we've been looking at the the life of, of Samson. And though I haven't said it this way, okay, so this is for all of us, but for those of you that are coming in, I think this may just kind of pull it all together, what we've been trying to talk about. You know what? When we got saved, y'all, what got deposited inside of us was the very life of God. The spirit of the living God came to move inside of us. And you talk about a stewardship. You understand, one of these days we're going to stand at the judgment seat of Christ, look Jesus eyeball to eyeball, and answer for what we did with the very life of the creator, holy God of the universe that took up residence inside of us. And you know what we're doing right now, y'all? We're just getting ready for that day when we stand before him. And the reality is this. We get one shot. We get one shot to get it right. One shot to make a difference. One shot to invest in eternity. One shot to be a good steward of the life of God in us. And we got to make sure that we don't miss our one shot. We've been looking at the life of, of Samson, and really the theme of what we've been saying is we've just got to make sure that with the life of God in us, that we don't waste our life. How many of you got a little trinket when you came in? Everybody got a domino when you came in? Okay, let let, let me tell you a a little bit about this. I I don't know how it was for you growing up. Uh, I, I, I think I've mentioned to you, I grew up on the other side of the tracks, and so we didn't get out much. Except for in the hood, we did get there, but I was an adult before I knew that dominoes was actually a game that you could play, (laughs) and there was a strategy (laughs) to the thing. How many of you are like me? You thought that what this was all about is collect as many as you can and set them up in the craziest configurations known to man. How many of you are like that? And the others of y'all, you never did that? Or you just knew they were for something now? Oh, man, you're killing me tonight, y'all. Okay, but, but here, here, I want you to listen. God 
has an incredible domino trail that is set up for you. And it is very strategic. It's well thought out. And it is a specific course. And the Bible has a name for that in the New Testament. You know what the name of that course is? It is your course. And it's designed that by the time you get to the end of it, it's designed to bring you exponential abundance and exponential blessing. I'm not talking about a life free from trials and tribulations because it is through much tribulation that we must enter into the kingdom of God. I'm not talking about that. But I am talking about even in the midst of the trials and the tribulations that God intends for that course that he has set for our life for it to reflect exponential abundance and blessing. It's what Jesus called the abundant life in John chapter 10 and verse 10. And again, I say to you tonight, young people, young adults, old adults, would you listen? God has a domino trail for your life. But I also want you to understand tonight that the devil has a domino trail for your life. And it is very strategic. And it too is very well thought out. And it too is a specific course. And it too has a name in the New Testament. It goes by the name of the course of this the course of this world, and it's designed by the time that you get to the end of it to bring you exponential pain, to bring you exponential heartache, to bring you exponential loss. And what sets each of these domino trails in motion is your domino. Your domino represents the choices that you make. The choices that you make in life determine your domino trail. And listen, what you do with your domino matters. Your choices matter, y'all. They matter a lot. Those choices that we're making today, they describe us. But in time, they define us. But not only do our choices matter, but our choices have consequences. Listen, they can have some incredible positive consequences. Or our choices can have unbelievably negative consequences, but every single one of us determines which one we're going to roll down based on what we do with our domino, which direction we choose 
We've been talking all week about what direction our feet are pointing, but what you do with your domino, whichever direction you tip it, it's crazy. Because it's saying something, there's consequences. And what history shows us, and now we've got 6,000 years of human history behind us, and with history behind us, now we can look at people who tipped their domino in this direction, and we can see what happened to that. And we can look at other people, and we can see the direction that they tipped their domino, and we can see what happened to their life, but what history shows us is that once you tip your domino, that domino falls into another, that falls into another, that falls into another, and pretty soon, those dominoes take on a life of their own. And once it begins to take a life of its own, it's hard to find the pause button, hard to find the stop. It's in fast forward, man, and it's really, really tough to rewind. And I think that that's what we see in the life of Samson. We've been looking in the last several nights at Judges chapter 13, verses 1 through 5. And for time's sake tonight, I, I'm not going to read the passage yet again. But Judges 13, verses 1 through 5. And why don't you go ahead and bring it to the next slide because I, w- I want to call your attention to what he says in verse 5. For those of you that haven't been here, There's a man by the name of Manoah who has a wife, and she is barren. And one day, the angel of the Lord shows up to her and says that she's going to have a child. And he is going to be a special man. And we'll cut to the chase in verse 5. The angel of the Lord says, For lo, thou shalt conceive... And bear a son, and no razor shall come on his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite unto God from the womb. And I want you to look at this. And he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. And again, I want you to notice that last phrase. And notice the word begin. And he shall begin... To deliver Israel out of the hand or the domination of the Philistines. And you'd about, if you're reading the Bible, trying to do your best to comprehend it, you'd have to read that phrase and ask yourself, I wonder why it didn't say, and he shall deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. And you know why it was, y'all? Because whether or not God was going to be able to use Samson to deliver them depended on what Samson did with his domino. And I want to make sure that you all get this. It's pretty simple, but 
Sometimes we miss the simple stuff, and the simple stuff is the key stuff, okay? Listen, God determines our beginning. We determine our ending. And that leads to the next key principle. We've been looking at key principles and how this applies over the last several nights. And this is the fourth key principle that we want to talk about tonight. Number four, God gives to us everything we need to fulfill his divine purpose for our life. That is no guarantee, however, that we will actually fulfill it. Like Samson, what we do with the beginning God has given us is up to us. Does everybody understand that? Now, now listen, we, we've looked at this, this passage in Judges chapter 13, and we've seen that God had something special for this dude, Samson. And he told his mother out in that field that he was to be separate, that Samson was to be separate unto the Lord from his mother's womb, and God had given to him literally everything that he needed, not only to judge Israel, but to deliver Israel out of the domination of the Philistines. But as we've already noted, he only began to deliver them. He didn't finish the job. And I don't want to get too far down the road on this, but just catch this. In 1 Samuel chapter 7, verses 9 through 14, the verses aren't going to be there. But God had to raise up another Sam, not Miles. A guy by the name of Samuel. And do you realize in 1 Samuel chapter 7, verses 9 through 14, he accomplished more in one prayer with spiritual strength than Samson accomplished with 20 years of physical strength. And the point that I want you to see, the vital lesson that we want to learn from this key principle is this. I must be certain that I live my life with the constant spiritual awareness that from God's vantage point, it is not how I begin the Christian life, but how I end. That really matters. And God will hold me accountable at the judgment seat of Christ for how I finish. And oh, how I wish that every person in this room tonight had ears to hear the lesson that we need to learn from the life of Samson. And and listen, y'all, this is why I, this may be cheesy to you, but that's why I, I wanted to give you this domino when you came in here tonight. And, and what I'm going to ask you to do with this when you get home is I'm going to ask you to put this somewhere where you will see it 
every single day of your life as a reminder that you are that day going to be making choices that are going to affect your eternal destiny. I'm not talking about your salvation. I'm talking about the place of reward. When you stand and you give an answer to the Lord Jesus Christ for what you did with his life by his spirit inside of you as a reminder that it's not how you begin, but it's how you finish. You know what? I, I've got one of these right by my gear shift in my car so that every time I leave my house, I've got a constant reminder. I'm making choices today that are going to determine whether or not I finish well. Now, there's some things that I think we need to consider concerning some of the men in the Bible, concerning their beginning as opposed to their ending. Okay, I, I don't know if it's ever actually dawned on you or, or not, but from a biblical perspective, the track record for the greatest men who ever lived is not really all that great. <laughs> the most perfect man in the Bible, and his name is Adam, and I say that he was perfect in the sense that he wasn't coming into this world with a sin nature. The most perfect man in the Bible, Adam, listen, was overthrown. And it just happened to be that he was overthrown by a desire to be with a woman. Now, ladies, let me just say this. I'm not putting that on women. I'm putting it on men. And all the ladies said, Something weird about a female, amen. <laughs> amen. I, I like it. But, but just to, to make the point, first, first Timothy chapter 2 and verse 14, and I don't think this verse is there, but l listen to what it says. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression, and yet he did the same thing that she did. But he didn't do it because he was deceived. You know why he did it? He wanted to have a relationship with his wife rather than have a relationship with God. And all the ladies said, <laughs> The man with the greatest heart for God in the Bible, David, was overthrown, y'all. And men, I want you to listen. It just happens to be that he was overthrown by the desire to be with a woman. The wisest man in the Bible, his name is Solomon, he too was overthrown, and it just happens to be, and I hope every man in this room is listening, it just happened to be 
that he was overthrown by a desire to be with a woman. In fact, he went through literally a thousand of them. And that, my friend, is a lot of makeup. <laughs> the strongest man in the Bible, the guy we've been looking at, Samson, was overthrown, and it just happens to be, men, that he was overthrown by a desire to be with a woman. Now listen, y'all, there are other ways to tip your domino in the direction of the devil's domino trail, but you don't want to miss this. The best, greatest men ever tip for a woman. Okay, so that's the track record for the greatest men in the Bible. But notice also the track record for the vast majority of men throughout history. Check this out. Of the 603,550 men aged 20 and above who were delivered out of the bondage of Egypt in the Exodus. Okay, and for those of you that are wondering where I came up with such a random number as that, the book of Numbers... Is all about that. That's the number of men who were delivered, age 20 and above, delivered out of the bondage of Egypt in the Exodus. And 1 Corinthians chapter 10 is going to tell us that they are a biblical portrait of our salvation because we too were delivered out of the bondage of Egypt and out of 603,000. 550, all but two are, were overthrown in the wilderness. And the very next verse, after telling us how that many of them were overthrown in the wilderness, the very next verse says, now these are written for our admonition. And I... I know that this makes me sound like a negative old codger. <laughs> but I think the ratio of Christians that get overthrown is about 603,548 out of every 603,550. Does that make me sound like a negative old codger? Only two made it into Canaan. Only two finished well. Of the 400 leaders that are mentioned in the Bible, did you know this, that only 80 of them finished well? I'm not real good in math, but I... I was carrying the numbers and the decimal point, and I figured out that that's about 16% that finished well. Did you know this, that in the 21st century, and it's been this way for about the last 50 years, that of the men who begin in the ministry, only one in 10 finish well? And with that in mind, I want you to see this monumental thing that Paul was able to say about his life 
in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 7. I'm going to come out of being the negative old codger, and we're going to get positive for just a little bit. And I believe what Paul says in this verse ought to be the deathbed goal of every man and every woman that is in this room that names the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, this ought to be our epitaph. Those of you who don't know what an epitaph is, it's what gets written on your tombstone. or It's a brief statement that summarizes a person's life. But this ought to be what all of us are able to have on our tombstone, y'all. We ought, to, we ought to be able to, when we're about to draw our last breath, assemble our family around us and be able to say with Paul, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Y'all know this verse? Sure. It's, it's a very familiar verse. You know what I found with familiar verses? Sometimes they get so familiar that we never really plumb the depths or see the simplicity in the depth of what is being said. But now listen, y'all. In the context, you know what Paul's doing? He's admonishing his young son in the faith, Timothy, to finish well. And God used what Paul was writing to Timothy to admonish all of us that are in this room tonight that name the name of Christ to finish well. And what he it actually shows us here, three key things to know about finishing well from Paul's example. Now, Samson is the bad example. And so that we're not just caught up on the negative of this thing. I want you to see the positive example of this. Verse 7 of 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul says, I have fought a good fight. And that phrase encompasses the first thing that we need to learn about finishing well. And it's this, I cannot finish well without winning the fight with the enemy in me. A little Italian accent on that thing. Without winning the, the fight with the enemy in me. This has to do with my flesh. Now, now listen real carefully, y'all. We are no doubt in a fight with the devil. Anybody believe that in here? Absolutely. We, we believe that. And I like to refer to him as the enemy without. Okay, he's the enemy out here. But did you know this? If the devil died tonight, we'd wake up tomorrow and we'd still be in a fight. <laughs> because we live in a body of flesh, and before the devil gets anywhere close to me, I've got this ferocious enemy in me, in my flesh. But you see, when we got saved, what the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17 is that we became new creatures. Hallelujah. 
old things were passed away and behold, all things became new. But I do want you to recognize that the all things that became new was in our souls and in our spirits. Ezekiel prophesied of those of us in the new covenant and said that God would give to us a new heart and that God would give to us a new spirit. And that's what God did when he saved us. But one thing that didn't happen when he saved us, he didn't give us a new body. We were redeemed in our soul, in our spirit. But Romans chapter 8 and verse 23 says that we grow within ourselves waiting for the adoption to wit, or in other words, the redemption of our body. That didn't happen the day that we called upon the name of the Lord to save us. Something crazy happened on the inside that transformed our souls and our spirits. But we all, the next day after we got saved, were living in the same hunk of flesh that we were living in all of those years in our lost condition. In Ephesians chapter 1, verses 12 through 14, it describes our salvation as the fact that we were placed in Christ, and Christ was placed in us, and then we were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, which he says was the earnest or the down payment, guaranteeing, listen, the redemption of the purchased possession. You know what the purchased possession was? It's these bodies. And until that time, until we see the redemption of these bodies, you know what the scripture says? That we have been called to glorify God in our body and our spirit, which are God's. But listen. Because this body of flesh has not yet received its redemption, we are tonight in a fight, a huge one. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 17 says, For the flesh, what's the next word? Lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And the spirit, what against the flesh, y'all? The spirit is lusting. It's a strong, ferocious desire. And our flesh lusts against the spirit. And while that's happening, the spirit lusts against the flesh. And he goes on to say that that's why... We have such a hard time doing the things that we want to do. But I want you to notice what Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 7, that if we're going to finish well, it's going to mean that we fight a good fight. You ever been in a fight? I'm not talking about with your wife or your husband. I, I know that. I'm talking about, have you ever, have you ever been in a fight? Well, I, I can, I, you know, I, I'm, I've been in a few in my day, as you can only imagine. But I can tell you this. 
I've never been in a fight that I've called a, a good fight that I didn't win. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah, the guy beat the holy slop out of me. <laughs> but man, it was a good fight. <laughs> no, a, a, a good fight is one that you, one that you win. So he, here's the deal. We're all in a fight, man. A dog fight, a knock-down, drag-out fight. And if we're going to finish the Christian life well, we've been called to win that fight, to live in victory over this flesh. And that, my friend, is a good fight. But notice something else that he says in verse 7. Notice that he doesn't say that I have fought the good fight. What he says is, I have fought a good fight. We're not there yet. Listen, not, I fought the good fight. I have fought a good fight. And we'd have to ask ourselves, now why did he say it that way? And you know why he said it that way? Because every man in this room and every woman in this room fights their own fight. Because every man and woman's battle and every man and woman's struggle is unique to them. I can't fight your battle because I'm not you. And you can't fight my battle because you're not me. But to finish well, we've all got a fight to fight. And you may want to know something else about this fight, and that is that nobody wins their fight in the first round. Now, you can lose your fight in the first round, but nobody wins in the first round. Nobody wins their fight in the second round, or the third, the fourth, or the 14th. But you can lose it in the second, the third, the fourth, or the 14th. But, but listen... If you are going to win it, you got to go the distance, man. You can lose your fight in any of the 15 rounds, but you can only win it in the 15th. And listen, because this world's system, that system comprised of the... The lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and and the pride of life. That system is going to be around as long as we have breath in our nostrils. And because that system, the system of this world, has such a gravitational pull on our flesh. Listen, as long as we're living in these earthly bodies, we are going to be in a fight. And the devil doesn't get cast into the bottomless pit until the end of the tribulation. And because of that, you can rest assured that as long as he's going to and fro in this earth, seeking whom he may devour, we're going to be in a fight. And to win, again I say, we've got to go the distance. We've got to finish well, and listen, y'all, the world and the flesh and the devil, they're tenacious, man. 
They're just unbelievably persistent and consistent. They just keep coming. They, 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 they don't stop. They don't take timeouts. They don't take days off. They don't throw fights. You're in a fight, my brother and sister. And for it to be a good fight, you gotta win it. And to win it, you gotta go the distance. You've got to fight to the finish. So to finish well, you've got to fight your fight and win. Paul says in 2 Timothy 4, 7, I have fought a good fight. And then notice the second thing that he says in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 7, I have finished my course. And here comes the next thing that he shows us from his example of what it is to finish well, and it's this, I cannot finish well without Finishing the course that God intends for me. And this has to do with God's plan and purpose for my life. And again, Paul says in verse 7, I have finished my course. And notice, not I have I've finished a course. Notice not, I have finished the course. And you see, it's just like with our fight. Just like nobody fights the same fight as you. Do you understand? Nobody has the same course as you. Your, your domino trail that God has set is unique for you. Paul says very specifically, I have finished my course. And Paul constantly had his mind fixed on the course that God had for him. He was constantly talking about that course. You know, what's interesting to me in the 21st century, I don't hear people talking about their course. It's like this thing that we, we just don't, comprehend but in Acts chapter 20 and verse 24 that the context is is talking about going to Jerusalem and Paul saying not knowing what was going to befall him there but knowing that the Holy Spirit of God had revealed to him that he would encounter bonds and afflictions in every city and Paul says in Acts chapter 20 and verse 24 but none of these things move me Neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish, next word, my course. And my brothers and sisters, I can guarantee you that if we count our life dear to ourselves, we will not finish our course. Acts chapter 13 and verse 25 talks about John the Baptist. Have you ever noticed this? It says, and as John fulfilled, what's the next word? His course. And the fact is, John could have done what Paul did and not fulfill his course. Because God had a different course for John than he did for Paul. 
There was, there was a, a totally different thing that God intended to do through John. And Paul could have done what John did and not finished his course because God had him on a different course and wanted to use Paul in a different way than he used John. And God's got a different course for your life than he has for mine. He's got a different course for my life than he has for yours. I can't finish yours. You can't finish mine. But oh, buddy, make sure that you understand this. I think this is in your notes. God has a specific course he intends for your life to follow and your ultimate success in life. Evidently, you don't have this, right? Okay, well, listen better than you were, okay? (laughs) God has a specific course that he intends your life to follow. And your ultimate success in life is determined by how you follow that course and whether or not you... I'm not trying to be rude, but I don't care how you've defined success to this point in your life. I, I don't care what all the trendy little leadership books, you know, how they de- defined success. I, I don't care how our culture defines success. I don't care how your mama or your daddy defines success for you. Success in life is nothing more and nothing less than following and finishing your course. Paul says, I fought a good fight. I finished my course. And then next he says, I have kept the faith. And the reality is for every person in this room tonight... We all can say this, I cannot finish well without keeping the faith that was entrusted to me. And this has to do with God's word and with sound doctrine. And and, and notice here, though it's not the fight that we fight, and and though it's not the course that we have been called to complete, it is the faith that we have been called to keep. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 5 says there is one faith. Jude in verse 3, Jude tells us in verse 3, at the, at the end of the verse here, that we are to earnestly contend for, say it, the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. It's been an entrustment to us, y'all. And we have been commanded by God to earnestly contend and to keep that one faith. In Titus chapter 1 and verse 9, he talks about those of us that hold the office of a bishop or the office of a pastor. And he talks about holding fast 
the faithful word and be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. He goes down in verse 11. I don't think it's there, but he says, and shut their mouths. Love that. In 1 John chapter 2, verses 12 through 14, he's talking about some of the levels of spiritual growth. You see little children. You see fathers. And in the middle of verse 13, in the middle of verse 14, he's talking about another level of spiritual growth. He's talking about young men. And he says that you are strong. And the reason that you're strong is because the word of God abides in you. And because of that, you have overcome the wicked one. We we talked a minute ago about the enemy that is in the me, our flesh. But we do have an enemy, the devil, that is without. But the realm in which he operates, y'all, is in the realm of false doctrine. Our flesh is going to drive us to all the houses of prostitution and the crack houses and the beer halls, whatever else, okay? That's our flesh, man. devil isn't doing that. The devil hangs out in places like this. He hangs out in churches. And we've got to get to the place to where we have overcome the wicked one and we can say that we have kept the faith. The word doctrine shows up 13 times in the 13 chapters of 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. My brothers and sisters, we have been called by God to keep the faith, to earnestly contend for the faith, to shut the mouths of those who come against the faith. But listen, to keep it, you're in for another fight, man. It is a knockdown, drag out. Listen, the reality is I hate it. The reality is some of the people in this room are not going to finish well because you won't keep the faith. In 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 1, do we have this? You know the verse. What it says, now the Spirit speaketh expressly. That in the latter times, some shall depart from, say it, the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. And again, I say to you, the devil works in the realm of false doctrine. And can I just say to you tonight, you guys are part of good churches. Churches where if you want to be discipled, you can be discipled. And I'm going to say to you tonight, one more time, if you've never been discipled, you need to get discipled. Because in order to finish well, you've got to keep the faith. Not go to church. Keep the faith. Others of you got discipled and it stopped. And you haven't made a disciple. It begins with winning someone to Christ. 
And it continues in taking the word of God and investing the word of God in them. You've got available to you Living Faith Bible Institute to where you can learn the faith. <laughs> and it's really cheap. There's a lot of ways, y'all. The people don't finish well, but I will tell you this, man, very few do. Samson is a dude had everything in the world going for him. God put him up to bat in the bottom of the ninth with bases loaded and said, dude, swing for the fence, man. And, and you know what, man? I, I know that some of you come from uh, some tough circumstances, but man, listen, you're a part of some great churches. <laughs> Hallelujah to you, man. Do you know what? God's put you up to bat in the bottom of the ninth with bases loaded, and he's telling you to swing for the fence. You've got discipleship available to you. You've got Discipleship 2 available to you. You've got Living Faith Bible Institute available to you. And you've been called by God to fight a good fight, to finish your course, and to keep the faith. So, Paul is our example of finishing well. And, and, and like I, I said, I, I hope every one of us leave this retreat tomorrow with a threefold goal. To come to our deathbed and to be able to say with Paul, I've fought a good fight. I've finished my course. I've kept the faith. And Samson, on the other hand is the classic example of not finishing well. He is the classic example, as we talked about the first night, of a wasted life. But in conclusion, I, I want to show you what I'm calling in your notes some strange verses about where Samson's story ends. And first of all, I, I want to I show you where his story ends in the Old Testament. Okay, in Judges chapter 16, we, we see Samson. And man, in light of what the angel of the Lord said to his mama and, and that, that domino trail that had been set up for him, we would have to ask the question, when we see where he is in Judges 16, we'd have to ask the question, what is a nice guy like you doing in a place like this? In Judges 13 and verse 5, and, and just, just listen, we're, we're, we have now begun our descent, okay? So listen, Judges 13 and, and verse 5. We've seen... That God had a plan for this boy that he was going to give to Manoah and his barren wife. And th this boy has 
been given by on his birth a special announcement of a special child with a special calling that he would be separated from his mother's womb unto the Lord. Wow. And in Judges chapter 16, verses 21 to 25, would you look in verse 21? This dude that was never to have cut his hair, he's got a burr haircut. He's bound and he's blind. In verse 23, he's in a pagan temple. The house of Dagon. Do you know the house of Dagon? He's the fish god. Listen, the god of fertility. You know what's happening in this temple? It is an absolute drunken orgy in honor of Dagon. And guess who they brought in to provide the entertainment? In verse 23 and 24, they're, they're praising Dagon for delivering God's man into their hands. Verse 25, they make sport of him. They're, they're making fun of him. And again, it makes you ask, what is a nice guy like that doing in a place like this? And I don't, I don't know how this affects you. I, I know this makes me sound judgmental, I'm sure. But I look at this dude and I say, what an idiot. Anybody else look at him and say that? With the beginning that God gave to you, man, are you kidding me right now? And that's where... His story ends in the Old Testament. But do you know where Samson's story ends in the New Testament? It's crazy. It ends in Hebrews chapter 11. The great faith chapter. Sometimes we call it the hall of faith. And it makes me ask another question. What is an idiot like you <laughs> doing in a place like this? Would you look at Hebrews chapter 11, verses 31 and 32? By faith the harlot Rahab perished not with them that believed not when she had received the spies with peace. And what shall I say? More, uh, what shall I more say? There you go. Can't read the King's English. For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and of Barak and of Samson. Are you kidding me, man? Samson's going to show up here. And listen, man, he is in here with some doozies. Would you look back at, at, at verse 8? This is the hall of faith, y'all. These are the heroes. He's here with Abraham. Faithful? 
Are you kidding me? He put his wife in a situation where and if God hadn't intervened, she would have been committing adultery with a pagan stinking king. He's a liar. He's a compromiser. He's a stinking wimp. In verse 31, Rahab, are you kidding me? She's a prostitute, man. In verse 32, Jephthah, are you kidding? Do you know what he did? He sacrificed his own daughter, killed her. Verse 32 again, David, faithful. Are you kidding me? He took a man's wife and then he took his he committed adultery and he committed murder. Samson, faithful, what, after what we've seen just in the last two nights, are you kidding me? And here's I put this as a note in your notes. Not every person made it into the hall of faith because they were faithful. They made it in because they had a moment in time when they were full of faith. Would you, these verses aren't there, but... If you don't have your Bible open to Judges 16, would you just do it real quick? Judges 16. I want you to see why he's here. Judges 16, verse 26. And Samson said unto the lad that held him by the hand. Okay, now they've been making sport of him. And Samson said unto the lad that held him by the hand, because he's blind, Suffer me or allow me that I may feel the pillars whereupon the house standeth, that I may lean upon them. Now the house was full of men and women, and all the lords of the Philistines were there, and there were upon the roof about 3,000 men and women that beheld while Samson made sport. And Samson called unto the Lord and said, O oh Lord God. Remember, I pray thee, and strengthen me, I pray thee, only this once, O God, that I may be at once avenged of the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson took hold of the two middle pillars upon which the house stood and on which it was borne up, of the one with his right hand and the other with his left. And Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. And he bowed himself with all his might, and the house fell upon the lords and upon all the people that were therein. So the dead which he slew at his death were more than they which he slew in his life. And I think this all teaches us a very key principle. Number five. God is more loving forgiving, merciful, and gracious than any of us ever imagined. So there is hope for idiots like us. (laughs) 
Yeah, I, I, I see Samson and, and the likes of these other people that we just mentioned in this chapter, and I say, they're idiots <laughs> like me. But they end up in one of the most positive and greatest chapters in the entire Bible. And the lesson that I think we need to learn from this is this. I must make certain that I do not allow my failures in the Christian life to sideline me. If I will respond properly to God's incredible love, forgiveness, mercy, and grace, oh, I hope some of you will hear this tonight, I can be restored and still do well at the judgment seat of Christ. L listen, y'all. There are no doubt some of us in this room that we're coming to camp hoping that God was going to do something crazy in our life. We needed him to do it. And the speaker that they bring in for two nights is hammering what a chump we all are, man. And how we're all on our way to wasting our life. And yet we come to the end of this whole thing, man. And God is trying to say, hey, get off of the sideline, man. And get back in the game. And use the life that you still have left to bring glory to God every day of your life. Listen. You can be restored, my brother and sister. Those failures don't need to sideline you. That's why we do things like this. So that we can come together and find the strength and encouragement in the word of God to build up defenses in our life that cause us to make right choices. But when we make wrong choices, to be able to find that there is forgiveness with thee that thou mayest be feared. And we start over. And we say, God, I can't do anything about the bad choices that I've already made. But I can do something about the choices I'm going to make today and tomorrow and the next day and for the rest of my life. You know what, if, if the preaching I've done in the last three days sounds like, yeah, guys, don't waste your life, I'm telling you I am preaching to me. Because one out of ten, finish well. And I'm hanging on for dear life every day of my life, but... Pleading the grace and mercy of God and recognizing that I'm going to be making choices today, tonight, tomorrow, tomorrow night that are going to determine whether or not I finish well. And I say to you, my brother and sister, I don't know, I don't know where you are spiritually, 
there's hope, y'all. If there's hope for Samson, <laughs> I would have flicked him off the globe, man. <laughs> but that's not our God. Aren't you glad I'm not God? <laughs> because I'd have been flicked off this globe a long time ago. <laughs> there's hope, y'all. And I would love to see us all go back to our home and have a fresh start, man, and a new lease on life and be able to set our life to be able to say with Paul, I have fought a good fight. I've finished my course. I've kept the faith. Let's pray. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2 says, In time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom this is where we lived our life. You know, such were some of you. And I know that we've got... uh, I mean, I'm preaching to the choir. Mark's been preaching to the choir. Uh, The guys in the morning sessions have been preaching to the choir. And you're saying, man, I'm, I'm with God. I'm with God's people. You're in every worship service. Uh, But you remember what Blade was talking about this morning is the worship service in you throughout the rest of your life, outside of our worship services. Does your life belong to the Lord Jesus Christ? when you're with your family, in your job, at your school, in your neighborhood? Are you, are you in that place where you're fighting that good fight, where you're finishing your course, where you're keeping the faith that God has entrusted to you with your whole life, not with just part of it, not just with your leftovers? And so I think the invitation tonight is going to be this. If you're at a place where you're saying, okay, I need to get accountable to get on the right course, and like Mark was saying, to plug into discipleship, to plug into LFBI, to get accountable with my brothers and sisters in Christ in my local church so that my life isn't on autopilot, so that I'm endeavoring to be taking steps in that course. So if tonight you need the decision you need to make is to get accountable, right, to get accountable with your whole life, then come on, God's worthy, Amen. Let's make that decision tonight. I know there's been a lot of decisions made so far this week. I've heard of three people that have professed Christ as Lord and Savior this week. Um, If that is anybody in this room, would you just raise your hand? This week, I trusted in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I've put my faith in the finished work of Christ alone. Okay. Is there anybody else that would say, I know that I need to do that. I know that. I need to believe on Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Pastor, please pray for me.
Can I see your hand? You say you forgot to say every head bowed, every eye closed. No, come on. There's nothing but love for you in this room. Pastor, I know that I need prayer. I'm not sure that I'm saved. I'm not sure that I'm on my way to heaven. Please pray for me. Let me see your hand really big. I'm not sure that if I died today, I'd spend eternity with God in heaven. Anyone? Anyone? 